They are called first world problems and when you hear them they make you cringe. They are those petty, insignificant events which well-nourished, soundly housed, comfortably incomed people complain about. I came across some on Twitter. Had to wake up early for the ironing lady to come and caps lock. She still isn't here. Peeling pomegranates has to be one of the most painstaking tasks in the world. (laughs) Queued at Sainsbury's salad bar for 15 minutes to find they had no giant couscous. To say this has ruined my Monday would be an understatement. (laughs) Have a paper cut on my index finger. Every tweet is agony, but I persist bravely. I just had a cup of tea with soy milk. It was one of the worst decisions I've ever made in my life. Actually, I think that is a serious problem. (laughs) Putting soy milk in your tea probably is the worst decision anyone can make. Now, there's only one thing worse than hearing other people complain about their first world problems, and that is the feeling of shame and self-loathing you feel when you hear yourself lamenting some problem so trivial that you have to be in the top half a dozen percent of the world's richest people to even have it. I did it the other day. I complained that the batteries in the TV remote had died. This is when Galind smiles beatifically at me and says, First world problems. (laughs) Which just adds to my self-loathing and shame, because she is absolutely correct. Rejoice in the Lord always, says Paul in today's epistle reading. Yes, but the batteries in his remote never ran out. (laughs) The Lord is near. Do not worry about anything, but let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus, says Paul. Sure, but he never had the hassle of registering a car in New Jersey and having to drill holes in the front bumper to get the license plates on. (laughs) Whatever is true, whatever is honourable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence and if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things, urges Paul. Easy for him to say, he never had to make a U-turn on Route 22. (laughs) There are two types of people in the world. One finds obeying Paul and rejoicing in the Lord impossible. The other finds it painfully difficult, but through prayer and determination, they succeed sometimes. There are two types of people in the world. One has a mindset of scarcity and one an attitude of abundance. 
There are two types of people in the world. Those whose small vision and fearful hearts can only see what they lack. And those with fizzy faith and expansive hope who dream of what is possible. Those who look at their own resources and conclude correctly as it happens that they don't have what it takes to make it through and stay there. And those who go on from there to embrace the resources of God and say, why not? If you listen carefully, you can hear the voices of scarcity or what Brian McLaren calls the tyranny of not enough. Some of those voices come from people around us and some from within us. My faith is so puny, my prayer life so sick, I don't think that I could ever please God or be of any use to him. Close my spirit, there's not enough to go round. My church doesn't have enough money. We need to give less for mission, withhold our parish share, scale back our programs, close the hole in the budget. There's not enough to go round. My nation doesn't have enough land or wealth to accept the refugee escaping a war zone, the asylum seeker fleeing persecution. Close the borders. There's not enough to go round. My heart is so broken, my tears are so many, my hope is so shattered, my vision so dead. I can never forgive, never dream, never thrive. Close my heart, there's not enough to go round. My life is so stressed, my mental resources so strained, my physical strength so drained. I don't have what I need to get through today. Close the world, there's not enough to go round. My cross is too heavy, my illness so crushing, my loss overwhelming, my relationship beyond broken. Close my eyes, there's not enough to go round. Do you have enough time to do everything you need to do this week? Yes. Do you have enough energy to give your attention to the person who needs it this afternoon? Yes. Do you have enough patience to sit in another traffic jam, stand in another post office queue, cope with a noisy child for another five minutes? Yes. Yes. And yes. I say yes confidently on your behalf, not because I believe you are a godlike being with superhuman levels of mental and spiritual resources, although you probably are, but for two other reasons. One, scripture tells me so. The Apostle Peter says in his second letter, God's divine power has given us everything needed for life and godliness. Has given, past tense, everything we need for our lives. And the other reason I can be confident that God has given you all you need is my own experience. 25 years ago, I stooped next to his crib, looking down into his warm nest, watching his tiny chest gently rise and fall. We had transformed the spare bedroom into his nursery, impatiently biding our time, waiting for this very night. 
His second night on earth, his first in the place he would call home. Oh, the deep sleep of a newborn baby. Is there anything so tranquil, so serene, so perfectly blissful in all of God's good creation? A spotless new mind, untainted by fear and hate. Eyes that have not seen violence. Ears that are strangers to the sounds of anger. A nose that has yet to smell the decay of dreams. Lips that have never twisted the truth. Hands that don't know how to slap. Alex was one day old. One day Just the latest of God's miracles in this universe of wonder. And yet, as I brooded in the silence, I carried a heaviness in my heart. I was there not just to pay homage to this bone of my bone, this flesh of my flesh. Not just to worship and adore at his bedside. I was there to confess. A shocking confession. I quivered, ashamed of my limitations. You see, Alex, I said, I'm not sure I have what it takes. Truth is, I only have so much love. I've only got one bucket full. Every day I wake up and ask God to fill my bucket, and through the day I use it all up on your brother and your mum. And when I climb into bed, there's none left. I'm spent. My resources are used up. I throw the empty bucket into the corner of the room. Son, it's all gone. I don't think I have enough to give anyone else. I don't have enough for you. I slunk away from the nursery, fell into bed and into that place where God does his best work. The place where I'm unconscious and can't get in the way. I woke up the next morning unchanged. My bucket was sitting by the end of my bed, full as always. So I took it as always and splashed some on my wife. Then I slopped some on Tim and I sloshed some on Alex. And I went through the day splashing and sprinkling and squirting. I worried, surely my bucket must be running dry. But somehow my pail of love never emptied. Sixteen hours later, I was drained, and so was my bucket. Grumpy and irritable, I threw it into the corner and went to sleep. The next day, and my bucket of love was full once more. And the next, and the next. God's divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. So rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. I struggle when it comes to prayer because I tend to see God as a sports official. He makes his decisions, but if I'm not pleased with one, I can ask for a review. But I'd better not use my review on something frivolous or unimportant because I only get two or three reviews per day and I should save them up for really big injustices and bad calls. 
Maybe, rather than an umpire or referee, God is my genie. You get three wishes and that's it. So don't waste them. Don't pray for this situation or that person or the other event because something more important may come along this afternoon and you've used up all your prayers. But what if God's gifts are unlimited? What if his love is without constraint? What if we have 24 whole hours of prayer and communion and grace each and every day? What if your bucket will never run out? If we view God's resources as scarce, then we will fret. If our hearts are focused on what we lack instead of what we have, then we will most certainly worry. When we see others enjoying things we think we deserve, we will resent them. There's only so much money to go around, only so much happiness, only so much love, only so much God. If other people are enjoying these things, then there's less available for my bucket. If there's not enough of God's blessing to go around, then we would be right to compete for God's love, to fight for material things, to hoard what we have, to be defensive, to be suspicious of other people, to reject the outsider, to close ranks, to shun risk, to settle for what we have and dedicate our energy to making sure no one else shares in it. What small minds, minuscule hearts, deformed and suffering spirits we endure when we focus on what we lack instead of rejoicing in what we have. I read some advice about taking risks. It said, don't ride in automobiles. They cause 20% of all fatal accidents. Don't stay at home. 17% of all accidents occur in the home. Don't walk on the street or sidewalk. 14% of accidents occur to pedestrians. Don't travel by air, rail or water. 16% of all accidents happen on these. However, only 0.001% of all reported deaths occur in church. (laughs) You've made a wise decision this morning. It's week three of our stewardship campaign. And the word of God today is quite simple. Live abundantly. Because God's resources are infinite. Splash it around, your bucket won't run dry. When we grasp that, the question of how much do we give to God's mission in and through St. Paul's becomes less scary than it is when we believe that these resources belong to us and they are scarce and so we must be miserly with them. Now, I'm not saying waste God's resources. Uh, We can still be abundance people and be wise. We can still be abundance people and reverence the earth as God's precious creation. We can still be abundance people and save for a rainy day. An attitude of abundance is more about how our hearts are inclined 
Is life dangerous? And is God, are God's resources scarce so that we must live small lives devoid of risk and free of generosity? Or are we abundant people? Seeing every moment as God's gift to us to be lived to the full with gratitude and openness and love. How's your bucket this morning? Look carefully because it's probably fuller than you think. First world problems? No, we have a God's world opportunity. So go out from here and live with abandon. Take risks for God. Trust in his abundance, not your own. And we will discover that his resources will not run out. Amen.